0: Good morning. I feel like we've heard several sermons already, but I know you're ready for another. And so open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. And as we get into this this morning, I want to just remind you that we are in Ephesians, the first half, which is the Doctrinal part of Ephesians. When you get to chapter 4, the practical part starts, and we're still in the doctrine and a continuation, in a sense, of what we were talking about last week. When the Apostle Paul is writing, and he is writing to the church about their foundation, he's writing to the church that they primarily as Gentiles have been made fellow heirs, receivers of the same promises. And we said last week that is something at Christmas to remember, that until Jesus Christ came to this earth on that very first Christmas day and then about 30 years later died for us, There was no hope for Gentiles. We were without hope. We were without God until Jesus Christ came and established the new covenant, which is the eternal covenant, the one that we are under that will last forever and ever and never stop. It's everlasting. It's eternal. And he inaugurated it when he came to earth as the God-man and then died for us. Paul wants us to really understand that and to get it and to cherish it and rejoice over it. So he continues today in chapter 3 talking more about his relationship, his call as an apostle to preach this truth that was basically… Not revealed clearly in the Old Testament, but it's been revealed to him and the other apostles and prophets, and now he is part, a major part of getting that message to the Gentiles. We need to rejoice over what we're reading today and associate it with Christmas, the coming of Christ. So we're in chapter 3, 1 to 13, and I want to begin just with… A little illustration, I guess, that maybe will kind of put us in the midst of what's going on here. A number of years ago when I was um, full-time on staff here and teaching in a regular way, one of the families of the church, probably back in the 90s, because I arrived here in 94 and began to pastor that same year in March, one of the families had Ann and I over. And it just so happened at that dinner that their son, who was in his 20s, was visiting with them, and he was there for dinner. And I got to meet him, and we began to talk. We began to talk about Scripture, and somehow we got on a certain subject in a passage. And, um, you know, being a pastor, I eventually got around to giving my view of what that passage meant and how we are to understand it. And he said to me, he said, well, you know, he said, I agree with you about your interpretation of that text. I don't even remember exactly what it was, but I remember the conversation. And here's why I remember it. Because after he said he agreed with me about the interpretation of the text, he then said, but I don't agree it's for us today. And I went. Well, that's interesting. It was a New Testament text. It was probably the Apostle Paul that was writing. And so I said to him, well, you you don't believe it's for today? He said, no, I believe it was for then, that time, the Apostle's time. And I, as a pastor, you know, I wanted to pursue that a little bit. And I said, well, tell me then what is for us today? How do we get what we need for today, if that was for them and it's not for us, where are we? How do we get it? And here was his answer. He said, the Holy Spirit continues to give revelation to each generation in light of what they need. So in other words, revelation didn't stop with the apostles and the coming of the new covenant. Revelation is ongoing to him. And, and each generation gets their, the, the Spirit gives what's for that generation, so things can change. Now, do you, do you think there's any truth in that? Is what the apostles wrote to us and what we have in the canon of Scripture for them and not for us today, and we ought to be forming a new canon as time goes on? as the Spirit reveals what is for us? And the answer to that is absolutely not. No. What we have from the apostles is given under the new covenant and it ceased when they died and went to be with the Lord. Once they recorded what the Spirit gave to them, sent by Christ under the new covenant, we have everything that we need absolutely everything. What is written in the New Testament is for us. Yes, there was a change between the old and the new. When Christ came and inaugurated the new, once he died and went to be with the Father, waiting to come back again, what his apostles have recorded is the new covenant standards. Everything we need. The old covenant is still Scripture. The old covenant was also written by the Spirit, but the old covenant now has been replaced by the new. The old covenant, Hebrews says, is obsolete, and the new has come along and replaced it. And in the new, we have things carried over from the old. We have the commandments. At least nine of the ten commandments are in the new covenant, and part of that the only one that's debatable is the Sabbath. Was the Sabbath fulfilled in Christ? We have prophecies in the Old Testament that relate to the coming of the new. The new's even mentioned in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But the old covenant is gone, and the new covenant has come. And that which is written in the new covenant is all we need. That's why we spend a lot of time in this church on the New Testament. Not that the old doesn't have a lot for us too, but it's the new covenant that we're under. It's the law of Christ, as Paul said. He said, I'm ministering. Remember, we looked at that in Corinthians. He said, I'm ministering to the Jews, and I try to come along and honor where they are, but I'm not under that law anymore. And I minister to the Gentiles who are without law, but I'm not without law. I'm under the law of Christ. That's the new covenant. That's Matthew to Revelation. That, that's, our, that's where we get our doctrine, and that's where we get our practice. That's where we learn how to live. Paul is, is talking about this. And, and by the way, in the new covenant, and under what the apostles and prophets in the new covenant have written, we don't need anything more to be perfect, to be complete. The Scriptures are God-breathed, and they're profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God might be, normally it's translated complete, but it's the word perfect. You don't need anything more to be a godly being to, to live faithfully, life in godliness, than you find in the new covenant from Matthew to Revelation. You don't need anything more than that. That gives you everything for life and godliness to be like Christ. We don't look for other sources. We don't go for someone who knows more than that's here in the Scripture or is looking for the Holy Spirit to reveal more. It isn't going to happen. The Scriptures are everything we need to make us more and more transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now that background kind of leads us into where we're going to go, and I want to start by reading Ephesians 3, 1 to 13, and I want you to just see what Paul is saying now about this wonderful thing. We could divide this up basically in two parts. One of them, the first part, the first half of these verses from 1 to 13, 1 to 6 would be Paul is presenting the uniqueness of the mystery, that which was a mystery. He doesn't mean mysterious. A mystery was simply something that man can't find out on their own. Only God can reveal this. So Paul wants to talk about this, the uniqueness of the mystery that God gave about the formation of the church, the new covenant's arrival and inception. And then the second part of that, he talks about the uniqueness of his role in receiving it and proclaiming it. So it's kind of, he's kind of continuing on what we saw last week in chapter 2, that latter half. So look with me at chapter 3. We're going to read all 13 verses. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations, now get this verse, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. is that an amazing thing? The apostles are the ones to receive this. It wasn't received in the old covenant as it was in the new. Yes, there were times when we, we learned in the old covenant how to really be saved. You look to the Messiah. You look to the seed of Abraham. You put your faith in him. Genesis 15 revealed that about Abraham. You're not saved by works. Even in the old covenant, you were not saved by works. You were saved by looking to Christ. That's revealed. That's there. You also see many other things about his coming that we saw this morning, being born of the Virgin. There are little tidbits, but you know what you don't see there and you don't see at all is the church. Jew and Gentile becoming one in this new entity, the body of Christ, the one new man. Paul is saying as he writes those first six verses, in ages past it wasn't revealed like it is now. We have new revelation. And Gentiles, you are included in that. You're heirs. You're part of the promises of God, just as ethnic Jews put their trust in the Messiah in Christ. Let's read on in in verse 7. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So grace and power comes along, brings Paul into the kingdom on the Damascus Road. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ and is appointed a minister. By grace and the working of his power, he was saved. He was made new, a new creature in Christ. Then he says, to me, the very least of all the saints, the very least of all of them. Paul always thought of himself that way. He was the persecutor of Christians. He was out trying to put them to death, to harm them to get them to stop following Christ. And Christ meets him on the Damascus road and says, Paul, I'm changing you. I'm making you one of mine, part of the church. And you're going to be a minister for me and you're going to suffer for that. You're going to suffer greatly to preach the gospel that I'm calling you to preach. Look at verse 8. To me the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Have you ever thought of your Christianity, your relationship to Christ as an unfathomable rich possession, unfathomable riches of Christ? You need to think of it that way. There is nothing more important in this world, on this planet, in all of history, than having a relationship with the living God through His Son. And you will never fathom how great that is, how great His mercy to you has been to draw you to Himself, to make you one of His own, and give you an eternal heritage, that you will be with Him with no more sin. No more death, no more pain, no more temptation, no more evil. What do you find when you turn on TV and the news these days? I know it's not November anymore, so you can look again. It's almost like every time you turn on, there's some other horrific act that's been done in this country. Other murders, other sins one day we're gonna be totally removed from all of that in the new heavens and new earth. The gospel presents an unfathomable promise, unfathomable riches to us. It's just amazing. Verse nine, to bring light, he's talking about again what he's been called to do. Light, what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places or in the heavenlies. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory." What a powerful passage that is, as Paul reflects, talking about the uniqueness of the mystery and the uniqueness of his role in presenting that, we will never understand in all of eternity how wonderful, how marvelous this is. Notice in this first part, when we're talking about the uniqueness of the mystery, he starts out by saying, and he's in prison in Rome. He's right now a hostage in a prison in Rome, but he says, in essence, I'm a prisoner in Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. I don't. I'm a prisoner because of Christ. And he's a prisoner because he's been taking the gospel all over the Mediterranean Sea area from one place to another and he knows it's going to cost him. But he knows he's presenting the unfathomable riches of Christ about the church, the one new man, Gentile and Jew together for the rest of eternity in this in this church. He is presenting something that in the past little to nothing was known about, but has now been revealed to the apostles, and he's delighted to be preaching that. And then in verses 4 to 6, he's talking about this mystery and understanding it. One of the things that, that I want to share with you this morning, just by pulling out a little page that I made up, just to go through. One of the things that Paul is telling us is since the Old Testament prophets did not have all that the New Testament apostles and prophets had about this new covenant and about the church, we need to understand that when we go to interpret Old Testament prophetic passages, we must always interpret them first and foremost and primarily through the eyes of the New Testament writers why? because they're writing scripture just as much as the Old Testament prophets were but here's the other part of that they know more about the New Covenant and about what's come to pass in their day than any other Old Testament prophet ever could have thought of Always interpret Old Testament passages through the eyes, through what's said by the New Testament authors, by the New Testament writers. And we could go on and say Here, here's some of the reasons why. Much of the Old Testament, especially in reference to this new covenant, was not complete, it was vague. It was shadowed. It was written in terms of figures and symbols and types. For instance, in Acts chapter 15, there where they're having this debate, should should the Gentiles be circumcised and come under the law of Moses? They all agreed, no. They come under the law of Christ. They don't have to be circumcised. We couldn't keep that law in the first place. It was a tutor to point us to a Savior. We couldn't do it. But then, all of a sudden, in the midst of this discussion, someone, I think it's James, stands up, and he quotes Amos. He quotes the Apostle Amos. And he says, in Amos, and I believe it was chapter 9, in Amos chapter 9, it talks about David's, the formation again, the the renewal, the, the restoration of David's tabernacle." Well, guess what that's related to in Acts 15? Because in that passage, he talks about bringing in Gentiles. James says what Amos 9 was talking about was the formation of the church. The tabernacle there is not a literal tabernacle. We're not going back to temples and tabernacles for God to dwell in. The temple now is the church. It's the body of Christ. He dwells in us individually individually and he dwells in us collectively." And it's interesting. Would the Old Testament prophet have understood that? No, because he didn't have all of the revelation that Paul and the New Testament writers have. Do you remember what Hebrews says, for instance, in Hebrews chapter 1? In past times, prophets wrote about many, many things. But in these final days, God's Son has come. Jesus Christ has come. And he's brought the final truth, the final revelation that we need. We need a special work of God to bring new revelation. We need a special work of God to bring illumination to understand even what New Testament writers are saying. By the way, do you remember Luke 24? Christ is sitting on the road to Emmaus, and there he is speaking With the two men that were traveling that were so disappointed because Christ had been crucified and Jesus resurrected meets with them and he sits down with them and he reveals to them lets them see that it's really him raised from the dead and what does he do he takes the Old Testament and he begins to go through book by book and he says this was about me this was a figure and a type and a symbol but it had me in view. And he takes them through and then he goes and he meets with the disciples and he does the very same thing. We have the final revelation. We the church are the final new man, the new body for the rest of eternity. Paul says in, this, in these words, this was God's eternal purpose. Eternal purpose. He's not going back He's going forward. What was written back here in shadows, in types, is now fully revealed. And the new covenant is everlasting, and it takes it all the way forward. And Paul says, you need to know the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. You need to know the uniqueness of the church. You need to know what you're part of, that this is an unfathomable, rich thing that he has done and then he moves on to talk about his own role by the way the Old Testament temple is simply a figure of the church of people the bride of Christ coming down in Revelation 21 is the church coming with him the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 is indeed the Messiah but do you know what in the Old Testament they didn't make that connection nobody made that connection that Isaiah 53 is talking about Jesus Christ until he comes even his disciples didn't understand that in Luke 18 it had to be revealed by the Spirit and by the Son of God the animal sacrifices were nothing more than a type and a figure of the suffering that he would do and had to do when he came to this earth in order to die for us. The fact that the true seed of Abraham was not his physical seed at all, but the spiritual seed, which included Jew and Gentile ultimately. All of this is now explained by Paul and the apostles. And it's all we need for the rest of time and the rest of eternity. So Paul goes on to talk about his unique role in all of this. And The first thing he talks about in this mystery, let's look back at at verse 7. For which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of God of his spirit now remember he's not the minister he's a minister because this was given to all of the apostles and prophets of the new testament times of the times of christ one of the things i i see here with paul is he is a very humble man he's saying it was given to me by god's grace and god's power and not just to me alone not to me alone and not only that but he didn't receive this wonderful gift to be a minister of God because of anything in Paul. It wasn't because of his knowledge. It wasn't because of some kind of expertise that he had. Everything that we get from Christ under the new covenant is by grace and grace alone. We're saved by grace. We're justified by grace. We're sanctified by grace. We're glorified by grace. We have nothing to boast about except what? What Jesus Christ has come and done for us in our behalf. That is all that we have to boast about. So, so Paul, Paul is just saying, I am so privileged to be a part of this. I'm in jail, yes, but I'm a prisoner of, of the Lord, and I am so thankful to be his child by his grace. And then when you get down to verses 10 to 13, he's focusing more again on the purpose of this ministry in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Is that not interesting, by the way? What what is he saying there? He's saying that one of the primary purposes for this church, for this eternal purpose to be fulfilled, bringing Jew and Gentile into this body where they're totally forgiven, everyone who's part of the church. It's not like back in the days of Israel, if you're part of the old covenant, that makes you a believer, that makes you part of the Lord. No. Most of the people under the old covenant were not saved at all. There was only a remnant always just a remnant. But in the church, those who belong to the church are His. We've been redeemed, Jew and Gentile. We've been forgiven. The promises are ours. And guess who's one of the primary purposes for doing this is? To teach those in heavenly places His grace. The angels. To teach the angels, the angelic beings of the gracious Love and work of God for the people on earth that he created to give the Gentiles a hope that they never had before the coming of Jesus Christ. It's it's an amazing thing. I, I don't know if you've thought much about this, but I'll tell you one thing. If God wanted to make the church important to the angels, how important should the church of Jesus Christ be to us How important is the church to you? How important is it that you're part of the church? How important is it that your brothers and sisters are part of it and that you love them and you care for them and that Christ has redeemed them and made them one of his own? Brothers and sisters, if this is important to the angels and God wanted it to be important to them and to reveal to them his grace through this establishment of the new covenant, the eternal covenant. This needs to be high on our list. That's why Paul is teaching this doctrine to us. Yes, we're to love one another, but we're to understand how important the church is. The whole first three chapters of this book are doctrinal. And sometimes I think we, we kind of get to the place where we say, well, the practical is really more important than the doctrinal. Do you ever get that way? Just give me the practical so if I don't need to know the doctrine. No. Both are absolutely necessary and both are absolutely important. If you don't get the doctrine, you won't be living practically the way you should. So let me let me conclude with this. Since we've had several sermons, I probably ought to do that fairly soon. Um, let me give you some thoughts as we conclude, and as Paul is just summarized the, summarizing the uniqueness of this mystery that has now been revealed, the church, and his role in it. Here's, I think, some things we can take home with us. Just three things. Doctrinal truth is every bit as important, as practical, and we need to spend equal time in it as we learn how we are to live in daily life. Both are God-breathed and inspired. Both promote and emphasize the glory of God, how we live and what we think and what we know. Both are given by the Spirit to the apostles and prophets as revelation from God. And both are made to be understood by the work of the Spirit in us. When you're reading Scripture, don't fly through the doctrinal stuff. Look at it. Study it carefully. Consider the words. Consider what is being taught about it. You will never get down the road practically unless you do. Both the doctrine and both the practical teaching are absolutely important. Never put one over the other. Never exclude one for the other. Yes, the doctrine sometimes is hard. It's, it's tough to look at and figure out exactly what is it saying, but you have the Spirit. The Spirit can teach you, and they're both absolutely necessary and both Absolutely important. Be diligent in your study of the Word of God, particularly the New Testament and the writings of the apostles and prophets. Secondly, strive always to be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. And I would like to read to you from a passage 2nd Timothy if you turn there with me 2nd Timothy and in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verses 14 through 18 notice this Paul says remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to be wranglers about words which is useless and leads to ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Did you get the last part? Hand, handling accurately the word of truth. You not only need to know that you, you have it and, and you need to study it, but you need to study it well. There were people in Paul's days that were twisting the truth. He goes on to say in in the verses that follow 16 and 17, that Hymenaeus and Philetus were teaching error and falsehood regarding the return of Jesus Christ. Be careful in your study of the Word. Look at what the apostles are saying. Make sure you understand. Ask the Spirit for illumination to give you guidance through those passages. Follow the apostles' teaching and follow the apostles' interpretation of Old Testament truth when they speak. They're writing scripture. They're inspired by the Spirit. They're giving further knowledge that the Old Testament writers did not have. And then finally and thirdly, we must never let arrogance or pride come into our lives because we know so much more than they knew or because we know so much more than other Christians knew you see knowing and doing go together that's why James says show me your faith by your works so it is possible in the study of scripture it is possible as you pursue the truth of the new covenant To begin to be a little arrogant and think, I've got it all. I've got all I need because I understand that. Not many people understand it like I do, so I've got it. That's wrong. What you need to do is realize this, and Romans 11 talks about this. I won't take you there to read it, but you look at it sometime. Verses 5 to 24, he talks about One of the major reasons that Gentiles were brought in and made fellow heirs of the promises of Jesus Christ was because of unfaithfulness on the part of the Jews. And then then Paul looks at the Gentiles and says, listen, don't be arrogant because it can be removed from you if you start to just know things but stop doing them and stop living them. You need both. You need to know the truth, and you need to put the truth into practice in your life. Don't be arrogant. Don't be complacent. Don't stand and say, well, I'm a Christian. I know that Christ has saved me. I know that it's all of him and not me, so I can kind of just ease back and live any way I want to. In Romans chapter 11, the apostle Paul says the same thing that happened to the Jews of which you were brought in because of their unfaithfulness God worked towards you and made you part of the new covenant but he says don't be arrogant you were grafted in you were grafted in they were the natural seed if they turn back to God it's much easier for them to come back in and be part of this one new man than it was for you to even be added don't be arrogant. Doctrine and practice are very important together and we must strive to handle the truth accurately. But we don't get arrogant because we know it. We don't get arrogant even when we live it because that's by the power of the Spirit. There's nothing to boast about. Nothing. Brothers and sisters, this new covenant that we are part of was God's eternal plan from before the world. And Christ has come. And here's the other part of that. He's coming again. And He may come while we're alive. At least some of us. He may return to this earth a second time to fulfill everything completely. To have the final day of judgment and establish the new heavens and new earth where Saved Jew and Gentile in Christ, who are the true seed of Abraham, will live in perfect harmony and love and joy and peace with him forevermore. This Christmas, there's nothing to be more excited and more joyful about than his coming to earth that first time. To do what? Die. To live a godly life, perfect life, and go to the cross and bear the wrath of God for our sin on Him. That's what we need to rejoice about. Do that and give all the glory and all the praise to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for... These words of the Apostle Paul, the uniqueness of the message, the mystery, which wasn't revealed fully in the Old Covenant, but has been now. And thank you for this Apostle that understood his place, that understood that it was all by grace and not by him. And he was willing to suffer to take this message given to the church that we should be taking to the ends of the earth focus our attention, Father, on those who still haven't heard to share this good news, the gospel that has changed our lives. Help us to be faithful to see this go to the ends of the earth. and We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.